For KOSU, I'm Michael Krause, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. The Oklahoma Health Care Authority declined to accept a lower bid from a local company for its health information exchange. Tulsa-based My Health Access Network filed a protest after being denied the job from the OHCA despite bidding nearly $30 million less than global software company Orion Health. Ryan, what do you think about this bid? Well, I mean, I think that the bid, I mean, the, the whole thing is kind of bizarre. And it's its not just bizarre to me, it's bizarre to the entire healthcare community, uh, or the, the almost the unanimous healthcare community in the state of Oklahoma, and national operators that, that are, uh, and regulators that are overseeing what Oklahoma does here. I mean, this goes back to uh, a couple of years ago when the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma decided to create a state-based health and uh, health information exchange system, uh, so that you know your healthcare information uh, or a patient's healthcare information follows them around. So if you end up in an emergency room after a car accident, uh, they pull up your information. They're able to see you know what medications you're on, what treatments you may have had. I mean, those that's very important to have that portability of information. Well, my health uh, started this as a nonprofit in Tulsa. I think they've got about 80% of the healthcare records right now in the state. And they started this not as a statewide initiative, but as a nonprofit initiative. But they've done it in such a way that it's become a real national model. So you had my health, and then you had uh, you had another organization um, that that filed for these uh, Orion Health that filed for these or made these bids to become the state's uh, health information exchange system. Well it makes sense that you've got somebody that's already on the ground that already has 80% of the records that's been doing this work. Uh, and their bid is about $30 million less uh, than the out-of-state company. Um, and you know, the out-of-state company with a higher bid and no presence in Oklahoma right now gets the bid. So it's, it's really strange. Um, and I think, you know, aside from the, the bid price, you know, the, the, the huge difference, the 30 million difference uh, in the bid prices, I think the biggest concern for the people of Oklahoma is that if Orion came in, you're essentially starting from scratch, uh, which would be a, a real concern. And I think that that's where a lot of healthcare leaders in the state of Oklahoma are worried about what this means moving forward. Neva. I think you're right, Ryan. I mean, the concern is that potentially at stake beyond what you've already described for Oklahoma are the tens of millions of dollars in federal funding, the 90-10 match with state funds that um, the My Health officials uh, say could be reduced. I mean, if in fact uh, the state doesn't have a, 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 a system in place uh, that would be secure by September. So so there are a lot of things, you know, there are more questions than answers, I think, right now. And I think the fact, as you said, not only is this whole idea unpopular with the healthcare community at large in the state, business, uh, business uh, uh, leaders are equally, I uh, think, dismayed by what's gone on. And, and 13 of these major entities um, were listed in a letter um, expressing their concerns uh, just uh, this past week. I mean, you had uh, the Oklahoma City Chamber, the State Chamber, the Tulsa Re Regional Chamber. You had healthcare systems. You had Blue Cross Blue Shield. You had um, the Choctaw Chickasaw Nations. Uh, you had the State Medical Association. The list goes on and on. And so um, I think that there is this concern about uh, diminishing um, diminishing success and also the unnecessary potential cost to taxpayers and their concern overall about uh, the 
potential to pose a significant health and safety risk to patients. Because as you said, if you've got 80% of the market share right now, 80% uh, uh, of folks that are already in the system, uh, to have someone start from scratch. And I think the nonprofit uh, makes a serious allegation uh, in this whole conversation by alleging that they were arbitrarily, the word they used, arbitrarily penalized for having fewer transactions. I mean, that the things that they were um, uh, th that they were judged on, I guess, in terms of the uh, the bid process, um, because they operate predominantly in Oklahoma versus a company that has that's a global company uh, such as Orion. So I, th I think they're I think they've got a lot of issues here. Um, and I think as they begin to sort through them, it's going to be very interesting to see um, to, to see what else takes place. But certainly, I think this is for the state of Oklahoma, for the citizens of Oklahoma, for healthcare in Oklahoma, all of these issues need to be worked through and uh, get the best resolution possible for all concerned. Well, and if the healthcare authority doesn't act on this protest uh, and maybe open the bidding process back up or something like that, I think we can expect that the legislature will step into the fray here because this this is such a big deal and could have such catastrophic consequences for Oklahoma healthcare that I think the legislature are going to step in if the healthcare authority does nothing uh, by the end of this month with that protest. A prominent Oklahoma Republican says he's quitting the GOP. In an op-ed, former Congressman Mickey Edwards says he's leaving the Republican Party after protest to the Electoral College vote of President Joe Biden on January 6th. Neva, did this announcement surprise you? It, it did surprise me. And I think, uh, you know, for folks here in Oklahoma, many uh, uh, certainly that have been around a while remember uh, Mickey Edwards uh, in his years as the uh, congressman from the 5th District. But he is someone that, from a national perspective, and certainly someone with a high national profile, um, said some things that I think gave pause to, to a lot of people. I mean, the fact that uh, if we, to just kind of put it in context, Mickey Edwards uh, was someone who came out of uh, the University of Oklahoma, graduating uh, college, uh, became very active in young Republicans back then, as he describes it. I mean, it was a group you could put in a phone booth. I mean, <laughs> it right. was it was a small, small, small group. Uh, but he became very passionate, became state chairman, national, a national leader, uh, uh went on the national board of the American Conservative Union and really was in that uh, that early group that was the national movement that led to Ronald Reagan's victory um, in 1980. Mm -hmm. So here was someone who um, not only was active uh, from a party standpoint, but in 1974, he ran for Congress in Oklahoma against a Democrat who'd been there 24 years and almost beat him. Got 48% of the vote with very little money, spent $30,000, which you can't win a state house seat uh, nowadays <laughs> on $30,000. Uh, but he, he was hardworking, two years came back, flipped the seat, becoming the first Republican elected uh, to Congress uh, from Oklahoma City in more than half a century. So he has uh, he had a career that uh, uh, certainly not only spanned 16 years in Congress, but but he is someone that has been a national figure in the conservative movement. Someone by, he described himself as a Goldwater conservative, a Reagan conservative and a W conservative. Uh, but I think uh, he also went on in that particular piece that you uh, mentioned to really outline um 
his uh, uh, his dismay, his disappointment, uh, and and really kind of the um, the end for him of his involvement as a uh, uh, registered Republican, and and given his years and and involvement in the Republican Party, uh, I think this is something that uh, you know people certainly have to have to pause and reflect on. I mean, we see these sorts of things happen in transitions. Um, I think from party to party and 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 change in the national administrations. But certainly, I think uh, regardless of his own personal view today of where he is politically, I think Oklahoma should remember uh, his great contribution not only to the Republican Party, but to uh, uh, politics in general in the state of Oklahoma. Ryan. Well, you know, I encourage everybody to go to the bulwark.com and, and read Congressman Edwards' words for them for themselves. Uh, it, you know, before he became a politician, he was a journalist. He's a great writer. Uh, you know, the the, the whole piece, the, the whole thought piece that he's put together here is is really extraordinary, just on its own. It's it's a great it's a great piece of uh, political uh, uh, commentary that is is you know very relevant at the moment. And then if you look back at the history of it, you know, like Neva said, you know, whenever Congressman Edwards started his political career in Oklahoma, uh, Republicans were a, a, a just a definitive uh, minority yeah. in the state. And you know, so you know, for Democrats to be able to read about a time whenever there was you know democratic political dominance in Oklahoma, um, for younger political operatives, you know, that may seem like some fan fiction, uh, Oklahoma <laughs> political fan fiction, but it's real. It really happened. Uh, it was, and so to go back and read that is is an interesting political history in and of itself. But I'm going to quote here uh, in just a moment, Congressman Edwards' words, but he's talking about the lie that's been perpetrated by uh, by former. Uh, it brings me a lot of pleasure to say that former President Trump uh, and his allies. Uh, and, you know, so he's he talks about that line, those falsehoods and how that has created this environment where it's really got out of control from a lot of Republican leadership. And he says, you know, that that Republicans, uh, they knew they knew that the president was lying, but they went ahead anyways. He's I'm quoting here. He says they knew everything that I've spelled out about the validity of Donald Trump's electoral loss. They knew, but they fed the falsehood. They provided the fuel for an attack on the heart of American government, an attack that killed an officer trying to protect them. And he says that these Republicans, uh, that that they were supported, that the folks that uh, made this attack were supported and cheered on by Republicans. And he says, my Republicans. Um, I think that this is uh, the the thought piece that the Congressman Edwards has put out here is probably an internal conversation that a lot of Republicans are having with themselves right now. Uh, you know, I think that there's a real concern about you know what the last four years uh, have meant for the Republican Party, what it means for the future of the Republican Party, and I think that you know if you're going to be one of two major political parties in the United States, you have to you at some point come to grips with the fact that a big part of your base and constituency uh, have been led to believe that there's an alternate reality out there. And you have to repudiate that if you're going to have legitimacy, maybe not in the next two or three election cycles, but certainly moving forward for generations to come. Senator James Lankford is apologizing to black Tulsans for his involvement in questioning the election for President Biden. Lankford says he wasn't aware of the firestorm his actions would cause. And this comes after leaders called for his removal from the 1921 Race Massacre Committee. Neva, will this apology be enough to calm anger? I think I think that remains to be seen. He certainly think he laid out his North, North Tulsans. Uh, when he uh, uh, sent the letter, I mean, and very, very strongly laid out uh, his uh, uh, 
uh, his uh, feelings that he that he had made a mistake. Uh, he he went so far as to say that uh, that he asked for um, you know that he asked for their forgiveness and asked for an opportunity to uh, uh, to show the you know to to show the state uh, what reconciliation looks like in moments of disagreement. He talked about. Uh, uh, what uh, the the involvement that he's had, not only in terms of the commission, uh, but his involvement on the education piece of uh, of uh, working to get curriculum to be able to educate uh, on on the um, on the riot, uh, the, and he and he very succinctly and very directly said that he was completely blindsided, but he also found a blind spot, and he um, I think no one can argue. That uh, that Senator Langford and one of the most involved elected officials, so with Black Tulsans and particularly the uh, historic Greenwood district, uh, is as much as any statewide uh, holder in my memory. So uh, I think I think we'll we'll have to see what the um, uh, what the reaction to this is. Whether there's a continued uh, push to uh, ask him uh, to resign from the commission, I think it would be a regret uh, to remove someone who has been at the forefront of trying to. Um, um, uh, to try to bring awareness on the 1921 Tulsa race massacre and leading up with uh, uh, the Centennial Commission, which is uh, uh, literally uh, at the time of his writing only 100 days away, 140 days away. So there's a lot to be there's a lot to be taken into account here, more than just uh, the reaction to to one person's uh, um, comments or actions. And beyond that, not to not to take away from the focus uh, coming up on the 100th anniversary of what is absolutely the worst race massacre in our nation's history. So um, we'll we'll wait and see what the what ensues in terms of the conversation surrounding this. Ryan, while he might might not be accepted by some black Tulsans, the apology, the fact that he is actually at least apologizing for the fact. What is that? What does that make you think of? I mean, it's it's a different tone. Uh, from you know certainly what we've seen you know coming out of the the former administration where there was you know no acceptance of any blame no acceptance of of any uh, wrongdoing and you know I think that um, you know I'm going to take Senator Lankford at his word that he didn't realize that whenever he was saying that he wanted to object to these votes uh, that in large part the votes that he was objecting to came from communities where you have a high population of people of color uh, that participated uh, and, and fought for, for decades uh, for their right to participate and still fight, still fight for our, uh, their right to participate in our democratic process over uh, you know, very um, uh, you know, motivated uh, efforts to keep people of color uh, from voting. I mean, that's that's still, you know, that's not something that you know, was resolved in the 1960s. That's still something we're dealing with in 2021. And so for him to to see that, you know, I think that that's a that's an important growth. I wish he would have just recognized that uh, a couple of months ago. What we haven't seen from Senator Lankford is uh, any acceptance of responsibility in the insurrection from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, his objections, his you know, him being a leading senator. I mean, this we we are very fortunate in Oklahoma that uh, we have you know two very high ranking and influential United States senators. Unfortunately, one of those United States senators used that voice to fuel lies, those lies that, you know, that Congressman Edwards that we were just talking about said fueled the attacks on the on the United States Capitol and continue to fuel insurrectionist movements around the United States, insurgency, radical insurgency movements around the United States. Yeah, I think that 
he needs to own up to the fact he says that he was not trying to disenfranchise folks, uh, uh, especially black people and black voters, but that he was trying to lift up the voices of Oklahomans who had concerns about the election process. Really, what he should have been doing there was using his platform to tell Oklahomans the truth, that the election wasn't stolen, that these were lies, uh, these were falsehoods, and to you know have a, uh, have a common understanding of what reality is. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, I've given a lot of thought about what apologizing means uh, and what, uh, you know, what reconciliation means. And, you know, a lot of times these gestures appear empty uh, and sometimes they're empty because there's nothing else to do. I think that there, there is a possibility for Senator Lankford here to demonstrate some reconciliation in a real meaningful way. And I'm, I'm going to think out loud here and may get me in trouble. I may be the one apologizing for this at someone at some part. But in a moment, we're going to talk about Justice Colbert stepping down from the state Supreme Court, uh, the first African-American appointed to that court, the first African-American who's been the chief justice of that court. If if black Tulsans uh, can come together and rally behind a judicial nominee uh, for that seat on the state Supreme Court, Senator Lankford throwing his voice behind that nominee, I mean, even though he doesn't have an official role in that nomination process, Senator Lankford coming together to ensure continued representation on the state's highest court for black uh, Oklahomans and, and in particular those living in Tulsa. Uh, I think that that would be a real meaningful gesture of, of reconciliation and moving forward here. Speaking of which, Oklahoma's first black Supreme Court justice says he is stepping down from the bench after 16 years. Tom Colbert is retiring effective February 1st. Colbert was appointed to the court by then Governor Brad Henry in 2004. Ryan, you started it, but I just want to know a little bit more about your thoughts on Tom Colbert saying he's leaving. Well, this is a huge loss for for Oklahomans. Justice Colbert has you know, one of the uh, the most remarkable biographies, uh, you know, everything from uh, you know, raised, being raised by a bunch of really strong women uh, to, to working as a janitor, to being told by his high school counselor that he wasn't smart enough to go to college. Uh, I think he still holds uh, a record in the, the state long jump. Uh, I mean, this this uh, this guy is just an incredible person who's led an extraordinary life, and he's brought that entire experience to the bench with him. He's he's a uh, remarkably smart and intelligent jurist, uh, and you know, Oklahomans are going to miss him on the bench. The uh, whenever he whenever he first announced, I, I began getting text messages from prominent lawyers across the political spectrum saying, "Have you seen this?" and and bemoaning uh, his uh, his what will be his absence on the bench. The, the confirmation process, and I alluded to this earlier, the confirmation process in Oklahoma, we've got the Judicial Nominating Commission. The Judicial Nominating Commission right now is supposed to be a nonpartisan body, but it is heavily stacked towards Republicans at the moment. I mean, Governor Stitt, uh, in his appointments to the Judicial Nominating Commission, he has an obligation to uh, make sure that there is uh, you know, at least some equal representation among political parties. Uh, but whenever he was maxed out and couldn't appoint other Republicans, instead of appointing Democrats, he appointed two independents. Uh, so the gubernatorial uh, representation on the Judicial Nominating Commission is all independent, all Republican, no Democratic representation whatsoever. That's why I think it's it's really important uh, if you know if you think about um, what his position on that court has been and what that replacement process is going to be like. If Senator Lankford really wants to do something uh, to show reconciliation with Black Tulsans uh, and um, and his uh, front to them and the and the way that he objected to the electoral uh, college count, if if he really wants to do that, he ought to work with with Black Oklahomans and in particular Black Tulsans where this judicial seat comes from uh, and and uh, identify a candidate that they want 
uh, to see on the court and then use his political capital to help make that happen. Neva. Well, without question, uh, talking about a resume of, of uh, uh, Justice Colbert, I mean, his retirement on February 1st certainly leaves by the chief, the chief justice, Richard Darby's uh, estimation. He said it um, uh, that they will be losing a, a, a strong voice of sound reason and superb legal analysis was was his description. And he is someone that is that is universally respected across the entire legal community in this state, someone with an enormous uh, uh, an enormous record of, of service. And, you know, when you go back and look, I mean, here's someone, uh, as uh, Ryan was talking about, I mean, uh, graduated from high school in Sepulpa, went on to Kentucky State, where he was, I think, an All-American track and, and field uh, star uh, in his college years, went on to the, uh, to the uh, Army uh, when he was discharged, came back and got a master's in education at East Kentucky University and actually went on to uh, teach a year in Chicago public schools. Uh, and then he was a, uh, an assistant dean at Marquette uh, uh, Law School. He came back to Oklahoma and was an Oklahoma County assistant uh, district attorney, went on to the Department of Human Services as an attorney. And then, of course, we, as we've talked about, I mean, being um, the first not only African-American appointed to the Oklahoma Court of Civil Appeals, but also served as the chief justice on that court and became the first African-American appointed to the Oklahoma Supreme Court in 2007. So, I mean, he is a he is a member of the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and deservedly mm-hmm. so and someone that uh, um, certainly by all accounts will be missed on the high court and someone that I think uh, deserves this uh, recognition and and conversation as we talk about his retirement today. Tulsa Congressman Kevin Hearn is getting a seat on the U.S. House Ways and Means Committee. Hearn says the assignment fulfills a legislative goal for him in his third term representing the Tulsa area. Neva, why is this committee seat so important? Well, first of all, I mean, it's it's considered uh, Congress's oldest standing committee. But more importantly, there are 42 slots on Ways and Means. It is considered the plum, uh, the plum uh, position to be able to get one of those prime slots. Uh, these members uh, of Congress generally don't even serve on any other committee. I mean, that's how significant the committee is. It deals with uh, not only uh, tax uh tax uh, uh, legislation, but uh, some aspects of trade, Social Security, Medicare. I mean, it is a incredible, an incredibly powerful committee. Uh, and for uh, Congressman Hearn to be on, uh, to be appointed to the committee uh, the, in, in this time frame, having only been uh, in Congress for the for the short time he's been is uh, quite frankly remarkable. And it's been 20 years since Oklahoma has had someone on the Ways and Means Committee. So this is very significant. I think uh, as he as he indicated, his business background, uh, his success in business uh, certainly lends well and provides the business perspective on Ways and Means. And, and uh, by his own account, he hopes that he can provide that unique voice and be a uh, uh, be a very significant uh, player in the mix on ways and means uh, in this in this upcoming session. So, um, you know, I, I uh, certainly think uh, from an Oklahoma perspective, uh, the first district uh, is uh, uh, should be proud of their congressman for this position. But uh, all Oklahomans, I think, will benefit by having someone in this very important, very powerful committee. Ryan. 
Yeah, as, as Neva said, this is this is a win for Oklahoma to have representation on this incredibly powerful committee. And so much of the work that they are going to do moving forward is going to directly address a lot of the racial and economic inequities that we have seen, I mean, that have existed you know, for, for the entirety of our nation, but have really been exposed uh, during the pandemic that we've, uh, that we've been experiencing. Every, everything from the uh, disproportionate uh, racial impact that uh, COVID deaths have had, not uh, just nationally, but right here in Oklahoma, uh, but broadband inequities where you have rural Oklahomans that haven't had the same access to services, the ability to do virtual schooling, uh, you know, virtual healthcare appointments, um, you know, being able right now to go online and sign up for uh, for vaccine clinics around the state of Oklahoma. That rural broadband disparity is going to be something that the federal government and and state governments are going to have to partner on. And this is a you know probably a decades long infrastructure project, but a lot of that big work is going to come out of the Ways and Means Committee. And, and frankly, the ability to have an Oklahoman on there uh, that can fight to ensure that uh, those those uh, ideas and those policies um, you know, bring uh, bring things back to Oklahoma is is going to be of utmost importance because we've we've certainly seen those uh, those racial and, and, and class disparities on display in Oklahoma uh, again throughout the history of our our state, but but especially during this pandemic, they've been really brought to the surface. And so, um, you know, the the idea of uh, an Oklahoma voice on there, making sure that as the state of Oklahoma begins to address things like broadband access, uh, that you know, there's a federal component where you've got a, uh, an Oklahoma voice on there saying, you know remember Oklahoma and this is what we need and this is what this is what I'm going to fight for. I hope that that's how he uses that power there. Neva, although it is a very important committee, just very quickly, he's going to be a minority and a, and a, still a junior congressman. Do you think he's going to have much of a voice there? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think I think the fact that you're talking about 42, uh, 42 members of Ways and Means, I mean, it, every single person on that committee uh, has the ability to affect change, has the ability to uh, to infuse their their thoughts and their uh, ideas into the into the process. And as Ryan says, it's it's a it's a vast array of issues that come come before Ways and Means, and it's a it's a committee where you really have to dig in and do a lot of work and concentrate on that one committee. So you know, as you say, I mean, someone who's just starting their third term. I mean, just been in Congress for four years, starting uh, reelected in November to a third term. I mean, I think it's uh, very consequential. And uh, and I think we uh, have to be very optimistic that uh, that he's going to have, hopefully over time, a very significant impact on this committee. And Neva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.